Hello and welcome to the Story Grid Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better writer. I'm your host, Tim Grawl, and I am a struggling writer trying to figure out how to tell a story that works. Joining me shortly is Mike McClellan. He is the author of the book, The Sand Sea, which we published earlier this year through Story Grid Publishing. It's an epic fantasy novel, and Mike and I recently were able to sit down and have a conversation about what it was like for him to write this book what it was like for him to work with Sean on this and uh, what it looks like working on such a huge project, especially because this is Mike's first book. So it's a really great conversation. We're going to cut this up into three episodes because it lasted pretty long, but uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. And for me, it was fun to have uh, this conversation with him and to talk about uh, all this story grid stuff with another writer who is under the Sean Coyne umbrella. I also want to mention here, I really appreciate everybody's patience as we kind of figure out what we're going to do with the podcast next. Uh, we've obviously tried out a couple different experiments, including just not publishing. Uh, so we're going to do this for three weeks and then Sean and I will be back going over uh, my next novel. I'm a little over halfway through working on it. So he's going to uh, he's looking that over now and then we're going to record on that. And then we're going to just continue to experiment and try some new things with the podcast. So I appreciate you hanging in there with us and continuing to listen. But for now, let's jump in and get started with this episode. Before we really jump into the nitty gritty of how you wrote this book, I would love to just hear the story about how this book came about. Because you always hear these things like, you know, this person worked on a project for so long. And in your case, it was you worked on this for 12 years. And sometimes I'm like, what, how did that even start? Like, when, when I think about a writing project taking 12 years, how do you even start something like that? So thinking back all the way to the beginning of what became the Sand Sea, how did you uh, start this project? Had you ever written before? Had you like been writing fiction and then this became your obsession or was this your first foray? Like, how did you get into this? Uh, Tim, that's a great question. And it looked like, like many things, there's a lot of different ways to answer that. So I'll try to answer it the simplest way possible. Uh, I, I've been writing most of my life um, in terms of nonfiction uh, and, and articles, and I used to be a blogger, et cetera. But in uh, September of 2008, uh, I had uh, become friends with Stephen Pressfield of, a few years before, and I uh, was sitting with him at a, a dinner in Corona del Mar, California. And I had, he had, he had, you know, not too long ago written um, Gates of Fire and Tides of War and Killing Rommel and a bunch of his historical fiction. And I was a huge fan of his historical fiction because it, uh, in a different way than the history that I had been reading, brought the events to life. And I knew a lot about the Spartans. But I never had a sense of what it would be like to be a Spartan until I read Gates of Fire. And it, it did for me sort of what Michael Shara's The Killer Angels did uh, about the Battle of Gettysburg. It, it, it made it real. It made it tangible. And so I, I had had this idea in my head that there was a book I wanted to read 
um, that that brought forth um, the first era of globalization in a, in a similar kind of way. And that era goes roughly from the end of the American Civil War in 1865 to the beginning of World War I with the guns of August of 1914. And I thought, well, look, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a guy who can write articles, et cetera, but why don't I see if Pressfield would be interested in writing uh, a, a book uh, about uh, essentially uh, the Zulu War, about, about Khartoum in 1885, and, and, and ending with Winston Churchill as a 23-year-old 20, at the Battle of Omdurman in 1898. And ultimately... Uh, Steve said, as he saw sort of the fire in my eyes, he said, Mike, <laughs> I don't need to write this book. You need to write this book. And, and I think, you know, it's, is it possible I kind of had that idea all along? Maybe, but, it, but I think really it was, it was Steve sort of giving me that, that belief that it was possible, that it was something that I could do. And so when he got home that night, he drove back up the 405 freeway back up to, to, LA to Malibu where he lives. And he sent me an email and the email was called tattooed on your brain. And he basically wrote to me this, this long email. And he said, Mike, um, you need to realize that this idea you have is a real idea and you need to never, you need to never surrender. You need to never quit and don't, don't allow resistance to stop you from doing it. Because what I saw uh, in your in your eyes and and what I heard in your voice today was was something real and I've been doing this a long time and and you need to you need to do it and I believed him um, like a <laughs> like a crazy person I believed him and so I started writing straight historical fiction in the beginning that's that's what it began as and uh, the problem with with me writing straight historical fiction was that and 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 look you you find out what what kind of writer you're supposed to be i think I think by the act of writing right that that the muse ultimately has to guide you and in the beginning, I started writing straight historical fiction, and it was the, the problem with it is that it was gorgeous taxidermy right it it it, <laughs> it was it was totally accurate, it was beautiful, but it was dead. It wouldn't, it was not a story that was, that was soaring, that was, that was flying. And so for, for me about 2013, after I'd been working on this as a weekend warrior for five years, I had this insight that I needed to write a story that was along the lines of the great epic fantasy fiction books that I had been obsessed with as a child, like Lord of the Rings. And if I could fuse that with my era of, of historical love, that first era of globalization, that that would be a book that I had never seen before. And it would be the book that I most wanted to read. Because what had always driven me to be attracted to the first era of globalization was not the specifics of the history itself, it was the, the issues, the, the themes that underlay that era, which was the courage of the men and women on both sides that were thrust into these clash of civilization type moments. And I wanted to, to bring that to life. And 
I realized that I could capture that theme perhaps even better if I was, was writing in a world that mirrored our own Gilded Age or, or peak of the British Empire, but that was not um, constrained to the historical details. And so that's the, that's the long answer to your very short question. Well, you know, it's been interesting because uh, when I saw you had a, his, a degree in history, you know, my dad, when I went to college, he's like, um, the only degree I'll help you pay for is one where you can make money when you get out of college. <laughs> and so, so I ended up getting a computer science degree. And um, there was a point where I had a, uh, I had a philosophy class and it was like an honors philosophy class. And I really enjoyed it. And the professor was like, um, you know, you should, you should major in philosophy. I said, well, what can I do with philosophy? He said, well, teach philosophy. I'm like, oh, I'm good, you know? <laughs> and so I just thought it was interesting that you had this degree in history. And then I've heard you a couple times, like just, you mentioned, I think it was like some obscure battle in Africa and just off the top of your head, you like named all the players on both sides, exactly what happened. Like, what, what is it? Have you always been that into history that it's just like you just dive in and just consume it all and remember? I mean, the memory of it has been what's been the most fascinating. Like, is that all? Have you always been like that? The short answer, Tim, is yes. Uh, I've loved history since I was a little boy, and I actually found. Uh, I probably should do an Instagram post on this in the next uh, couple of weeks because I, I found a report, a, a quote uh, paper that I had written as a fifth grader, and it was on the medieval age. And I realized that it was actually my first work of historical fiction uh, because some of the things I wrote in there were, were not true. Uh, but, but the energy and the passion and the quality of the writing in this thing as a fifth grade, I was, I was actually kind of, kind of astounded and it had artwork in it. It had drawings of knights. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the Mongols and the Turks, which is, which is probably not something that a lot of uh, fifth graders growing up in, in Southern California are, are thinking about as part of the, the, the medieval age. And so I, I was the kid who is a, a, a nine-year-old, 10-year-old was, was asking my parents or my aunts and uncles or my grandparents for Civil War battlefield books for Christmas. And, and they were like, what, what? Is he serious to my parents? And they said, oh, he's, he's deadly serious and he will read them all. And I think, uh, I think the, the, the drama of history has always drawn me the the sense that this is humanity's real story. I, I once heard it said that that history is where philosophy meets reality, mm. and I think I think that's always captured me. And, and I've also always believed that I, I've never bought into the concept that history is merely the interplay of of uh, impersonal forces. Um, that that you know sort of the the end of, uh, of Tolstoy's uh, War and Peace, where he sort of says that, look, if one man wasn't there, some other would, would have been. I, I don't know that I believe that. I think I've always believed that the man or the woman that is there in the moment 
is critical, that, that it is decisions made by individuals at any given time. I mean, for example, Abraham Lincoln, without Lincoln, I don't think the union would have been preserved. I think the Civil War could have and would have gone differently, but for his, uh, his heroism and the iron in his spine and his wisdom and his thoughtfulness and his ability to do what was necessary to, to preserve the union and, and to win. I think, I think the same is true of Churchill uh, in 1940, right? Without Churchill, I, I don't know that, that Hitler falls. And I, I think it was those kinds of moments of, of heroism that, that always captured me uh, and, and really sort of never let me go since I was a little kid. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I just watched Hamilton last night because it just came on Disney Plus. And I, whenever I, you know, read anything or see a story or, you know, watch, you know, a mini series or whatever on people like that, I'm like, those were just, you know, I'm so used to them almost like they're not real. They're these like characters that did these things, almost, almost like that feeling of like, this is how it's supposed to happen. And then, like, they were just, like, people doing the best they could, making decisions, having no idea the long-term ramifications of what, you know, that in 2020, there would be, you know, a group of judges still making decisions based on interpretations of what they wrote in the newspaper, you know. Um, and so it's just so interesting to me. Uh I don't know. That's just what struck me. So that when you were saying that I was just, just literally yesterday was thinking that as I was watching this of like, these are just, these were just people, you know, just having just like people I know now that are trying to make the best decisions, except they were at this moment in time. Um, anyway, so back to the writing side. So when you started thinking about, so you made the switch from like, okay, I'm now going to, not just, I'm not going to write historical fiction, something like Gates of Fire. I'm going to actually make up my own world. Where did you start with that? Did you start with like, okay, here's a group of characters I want to write about. Did you start with like, here's the type of world I want to create? Um, did you already have locked into your mind kind of the, the, the time, the, the time, uh, you know, that you wanted to write in, where did you start? Because now all I see is like these intricate maps and like all the characters and the history and then hearing you, you know, the conversations we've had where you tell me these intricate histories of these characters, like I see the final product, but where did you kind of wade into that? So let me unpack. That's a really awesome question. And, and there's a lot in there. Um, the, the first, the first answer is you're absolutely right that you know, the iceberg principle is, is real in, in writing and in particular in fiction, right? Which is that the final product is, is the 10% above the surface, but there's 90% that's underneath the water that we don't see, but, but it's that 90% that makes that 10% possible. Um, I, I began with, a a streak of, of lightning that basically like struck my mind on a weekend. And, and in the early years, I, I was not yet writing every single day. I was, I was a weekend warrior who would go and I'd spend seven, eight, nine hours uh, in my office, my garage office, uh, and, and would, would work and work and work. And then I wouldn't work until the next, next week. But what, what it began with was Otto von Fonfar. Uh, I saw him in 
standing on a desert, a desert floor, with a companion on either side of him, looking up at this horde of adversaries. And of course, there is a moment in the Sand Sea, fairly late in the Sand Sea, in which that is fully realized. But it was was that vignette, that vision. I, I once heard it said that George R. R. Martin began Game of Thrones simply with a vision of a lord and his children and a giant dying wolf and, and the pups of the giant dying wolf, which we now, of course, know was a dire wolf in which, in which the lord's children each receive one of the pups. I believe that. I believe that because for, for me, it was the vision of Otto von Fonfar that, that started the fantasy component uh, at a at an absolute sprint uh, into the mm. sand sea, and so basically, what happened was 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 I had the 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 demissaries in the sand sea are loosely based on the janissaries of the Ottoman Empire, and they've always fascinated me. But the peak of the janissaries was really centuries before. It was in the you know Suleiman the Magnificent, who was was I think he was the third. Ottoman Sultan after the conquest of Constantinople uh, in 1453. Uh, so he was, he was, you know, 15, early 1500s was his peak. I think, um, I think it was, was Ottoman as a sort of fictional uh, fantasy janissary brought forward into the 19th century that, that, um, that was the great moment. That was the watershed moment. And, and that day when that happened, when Otto von Fonfar came to me, I think I wrote something like five or 6,000 words in a weekend, which for mm. me is a ton. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he wasn't even like, while he was a major character, he wasn't like the pivotal characters, the like, you know, the, so, but that's where it started was with this character that you then built out from there. Yeah, it, it was it was almost like Otto Von gave me the aesthetic, right? Okay. He, he gave me it was what is Otto Von's world, right? And Selena came not long after Otto Von, but it's it, you know, the Sand Sea is really a fusion of historical fiction of a, a Gilded Age America and uh late Victorian England paired with this um, this invented uh, Middle East that is very, very, very different from our Middle East, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, the religions, for example, of the San Sea are, 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 are dramatically different from, you know, say, is, Islam, right? Yeah. But, but what I wanted to do with that was I, I realized that if I could take Audubon's world and have the, the theme of Audubon's world be um, the place where ancient wisdom still exists, but is fighting to still exist against tyranny. And, and in the West, there is, there is a group of people who are seeking out true wisdom against the sort of illusion of modernity uh, and the the uh, the the greed of uh, sort of domination and empire, then we could have an incredibly interesting story when those heroes from East and West meet, right? And Selena and Audubon, of course, are uh, are are 
characters that, that demonstrate the reality of ancient wisdom that is, of course, being persecuted in the very land from which they come. And then Peter and, and Hannah and, and to, you know, to a lesser extent, Jack, are those that are leaving the order of the West and moving into the chaos of the Sand Sea, but in search of whether they know it or not, this ancient wisdom that that is actually truth beyond the chaos. That's interesting. So when you started, um, so when you say that day that Otto came to mind, you wrote five or 6,000 words, like, is that words that never made it into the book because it was just you trying to kind of fumble your way through it? Or were you, because I guess for me, you know, I came into writing at such, you know, I had been writing fiction off and on for years, but when I really took it seriously, I came into it in a way that's probably pretty unique. You know, I started doing this podcast with Sean, he started critiquing my writing, and then we, we, we worked through a story basically scene by scene from the start, where to me, this is something that you almost, like the way that I view it, so correct me if I'm wrong, is you started basically coming up with like chunks of it and you were having to kind of fit them together because you had all these kind of random things. This didn't seem like a book where you just started on page one and just like wrote your way to the end. Is that, would that, is that accurate? Cause I'm, I still try to wrap my head around cause what's the end, the end uh, manuscript was what about 280,000 words. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think it's like 285,000 words. I think that's right. Right Right around there. So, like, how did you go about um, writing such a long book? Like, were you, did you write pieces of it and kind of fit it together? Um, Did you, did you just kind of start writing and it all just kind of came to you from start to finish? Like, how did you start piecing this thing together? Um. It's a it's a great question, Tim, and it 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 has there's many ways to answer that, and and again I'll try and answer it in the most straightforward way possible. The story evolved over time, and many of the best parts came on their own. And and what do I mean by that? What I mean is they were moments where I was writing, and the way the scene was going was completely unexpected to me as the writer in that moment. And so in order to create the, the art, and when I, think of, when I think of a big book, I think of art and architecture, right? And, and the art to me is the scene by scene moment, right? It's the picture you're painting for the reader uh, at any given time. It's the dialogue. It's all of those things that, that are um, suspending our disbelief, right? That makes you Mm -hmm. forget about the author entirely. And all you're doing is you are watching the movie in your brain as you're reading these pages. That's the art. And, and the art for me went all over the place. Yes, the final was 285,000 words, but to get that 285, there was probably 1.2 or 1.4 million words ultimately written over, over the 12 years. And, the 5,000 or 6,000 words that were written that weekend, the first weekend uh, that Otto von Fonfar came to exist, I would say none of those words made it into the final manuscript, 
but 100% of the concept of those words made it into the, to the final. And the concept of Nemakar, Osgar, and Ulgar, aka captain of fire, captain of uh, bow, and captain of lance, <clears throat> that came very, very quickly as I started constructing what is Otto von's demissary legion look like. And it's going to have three components, and some are going to be gunmen with these kinds of weapons, some are going to be bowmen with these kinds of weapons and these kinds of skills, and some are going to be lancers, and, and, and they all started arriving on the scene. And so what one of the, the to move from that, that, that incredibly long process of world building and creation to actually creating something, actually refining it to something that could be a book that people would be able to read and enjoy, that was the incredibly long ongoing editorial process that began before uh, I ever met Sean and started implementing the story grid onto the story, but but it it um, it gained incredible velocity once I started working with Sean and we started really tightening that architecture to make the art of each scene be able to work in the context of the overall story. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Story Grid Podcast. For everything StoryGrid related, check out StoryGrid.com. Make sure you pick up a copy of the book and sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss anything happening in the StoryGrid universe. Also, make sure you go to StoryGrid.com books to see all of the titles, including The Sand Sea, which we've released through StoryGrid Publishing. If you'd like to check out the show notes for this episode or any of the past episodes, all of that can be found at StoryGrid.com podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at StoryGrid. Lastly, if you would like to support the show, you can do that by telling another author about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at StoryGrid. We will see you next week.